I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. And on this Sunday evening of the new year, it's really our privilege to be able to gather here as the church, as the Lord's body, to absorb to observe the Lord's Supper. And um, as we said this morning, I, I didn't know a better way that we could start a Sunday morning service than in being being in God's house on the very first Sunday of the year. And I can't think of a better way to start Sunday evenings for this year than to be right here in God's house observing this supper. And each of you, I think, should have in your mind that this is a time of dedication to the cause of Christ. It's a time of dedication to Jesus himself. And in some sense, I, I think that you really ought to be thinking that doing this at this particular time, doing it on the very first Sunday of, of this year, is that this is really something that sets the direction for where you want to head spiritually during 2012. Now, if you like to make New Year's resolutions, and even if you don't, taking the supper tonight ought to be a resolution that we will serve God in greater ways and that we'll dedicate our lives to him in, in holiness and uh, doing works that are acceptable to him. I think about that statement that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians as he's dealing with the Lord's Supper, and he said that anyone that takes the supper unworthily is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And I think what Paul means is that anyone who comes to the Lord's Supper regarding this merely as a ceremony, just as something that we do, and you come to the supper with unrepentant sin, then you are guilty of shaming the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, his body and blood. This is what Jesus did. He came to die for sin. And this supper is a memorial of that. And so if we come here with unconfessed sin in our hearts, not considering what Christ did on the cross to take care of sin, that is what it really constitutes eating this supper unworthily, not regarding, having no intentions of dedicating yourself to the cause of Christ. That's what it means to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Before we observe the supper tonight, I put together a few thoughts that I want to give you, and I don't intend to be very long in the service tonight. I just want to get you into the frame of mind of how blessed we are to have Christ as our Savior. And there are myriads of ways that we could approach that subject. I could take a lot of time in talking about it. But I thought that I would just put together a few thoughts for you that we will take here from John chapter 6, where Jesus says that he's the bread of life. Now, if you look then in, in John 6 at verse number 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. 
This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, before we get to those few thoughts that I have for you tonight, I want to point out that this text is not talking about the Lord's Supper. And as I begin also tonight, I want to tell you that this text has everything to do with the Lord's Supper. And you say, well, those are conflicting statements. That doesn't make sense. How, how can you say that? Well, I mean that it's not about the Lord's Supper in the sense that Roman Catholicism uses this. The Roman Catholic Church says that Jesus is making a statement here that people must literally eat his body and drink his blood. And that's one of the ways in which you can find your way to eternal life. And they take this text and they've turned it into a proof text for the mass where they claim that by their hocus pocus they can transform the, the bread into the flesh of Jesus Christ and the, and the drink, the fruit of the vine, into the blood of Christ so that they believe that they are literally eating Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood. And I've heard that in the past that there have been Roman Catholics that are so devout in this belief, they believe it so strongly that they can even become sick and vomit when they take the wafer because they think that they're actually eating human flesh. Now, I I don't want to intend to gross you out before we uh, take the supper tonight and make you sick, so you don't want to hold that thought in your mind for very long. But in that sense, this passage has nothing at all to do with the Lord's Supper. And it's, it's actually a blasphemous activity that each week there are thousands of Roman Catholic masses where they crucify Christ again. And they tell people that they hold the keys to their salvation by actually being the dispensers of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So this text has nothing at all to do with the wicked Roman Catholic practice of the Mass. It has nothing to do with it. It also has nothing to do with the Supper because the Supper is not in consideration in this particular passage. Now later in the book of John, you get to chapter 13, and there you'll find some mention of the Supper, even though the Apostle John does not go into it with the same details as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So this is not a commentary or a, or a discourse about anything that takes place during the Lord's Supper. But there is a sense in which we can find something here about the Lord's Supper because the teachings that Jesus gives here culminate in the representations that are made in the Lord's Supper concerning the body and the blood of Christ. Now, Jesus gave the disciples bread at supper, at the supper, and that bread was indicative of his body. He broke the bread, and that was symbolic that his body would be broken for us. And then, of course, there's the fruit of the vine that we drink in the supper, and Jesus very clearly tells us that the cup represents his blood that was shed on the cross. And so the symbolism of this is very clear, and these elements are exactly that, that and only that. They are symbols. They're not the real body and blood of the Lord. Now, this evening, I want to concentrate for just a few minutes on the one, one particular element, and that's the bread. And in this passage, Jesus gives us another meaning for the bread. A moment ago, I said that the bread represents his body that was broken for us. But here we find that Jesus introduces us to another meaning for bread. And this is where the bread represents the life of Christ, the life-giving sustenance of Christ, that Christ's life is given to the believer who partakes of him. 
Now, in the last verse of our reading, verse 58, Jesus said, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, if you go back in this chapter, here in chapter 6, you'll find that the Jews are the ones who introduced manna into this, into this discussion. They'd raised this question earlier as they were disputing with Jesus. And in the 30th verse, the Jews said, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so the Jews said to Jesus that they wanted, them, uh, wanted him to give them another sign, some kind of sign that he came from God. If you came from God, then you would be able to show us some proof. You would be able to give us proof that you are true and God speaks through you and you can do that by giving us a sign. And they say Moses proved that he was from God because he was able to give us bread that came down from heaven. And when they said that to Jesus, this was really an opening for him. Here was a golden opportunity for him to enter in upon this subject that he is actually the bread of life. He's the one that came down from heaven. He's the one that actually gives them life. And he showed them that manna is far inferior to him. Their fathers ate manna, and yet they died. And he said, if you partake of me, if you eat of me, you will never die. And I want you also to notice that Jesus says, this is the bread which came down from heaven. And how wonderful that statement is since we're so close to Christmas that Jesus came down from heaven and the purpose of him coming is found in this statement. That he is our spiritual nourishment. He is the one who came for the purpose of saving those that are starving in sin. He came to be eaten so that people could have eternal life. Now, let's think about that for just a few minutes. Why does Jesus compare himself to bread? Well, it's simply an analogy. It's an illustration. It's a teaching tool that would help them to understand his purpose. And far from being literal, which would actually be absurd and just miss the point entirely that Jesus is trying to get across, Jesus is simply using an illustration that he is like bread. Well, how is he like bread? Well, first we can say this is the attraction of Jesus, the attraction of him. About 25 years ago, I had my first opportunity to go to Europe. And one of the uh, people that went on the trip with me was my dad. Now, as most of you know very well, I, I am not one who likes to experiment with food. Gary knows that about me uh, as we went to our trip to Israel. He was willing to try just about anything. But what I wanted to do is just stick to things that my stomach was well acquainted with and already familiar with. And so I would let Gary try all of that strange stuff first. And if he didn't, didn't turn green and pass out, then, then maybe, just maybe, not likely, but I might venture in just a little bit to try something new. But on that trip that I took to Europe, there were a lot of days when I was a very unhappy camper. I did not like the kind of food that they, that they had prepared for us. But there was one food that's a staple. There is one that no matter where you go, you know that you're going to be safe. And what is that? It's bread. 
Now, the reason that I mentioned my dad was because he, he was somewhat like me. You know, he was an old meat and potatoes guy, and so uh, all these different kinds of things didn't please him very well. But one thing that he really did like was all the variety of breads that they had. And he really liked the hard, crusty ones, the, you know, the, the, those types of breads. And so he would, he, was, he, he would just fill up in all these different kind of breads that they served us there. Well, bread is used as an illustration because bread is universal, Bread can be made out of a variety of substances, whether it's wheat or or corn or rye, or in some places they even make bread out of leaves or whatever. But everybody everywhere eats bread. Bread is an attractive food. We desire it. We want it. And most people that don't eat it don't because they have some kind of problem. Maybe it's diabetes or they have some kind of an illness, but it's simply not normal for people not to like bread. I mean, you just don't find too many people that totally dislike it. And this is a good illustration because what Jesus has to offer is very attractive. When you have the proper understanding of Jesus, you desire him. Like starving people desire bread, that's what Jesus is like. In fact, in countries where people are starving, when someone goes in to to bring them food, what is the first thing that they bring to people? They bring them bread. Because it's a universal item. People love bread and people need bread and it's a food that is very agreeable to us. In the 17th century, there was a Puritan by the name of John Flavel and he is the one that that I, uh, he's my favorite Puritan to read after. But he preached a sermon entitled, Christ the Desire of All Nations. And he took his text from Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where the word of God says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And there, John Flavel, as he preached that message from that passage, he was talking about Jesus Christ, who is the desire of all nations. And when he comes, he is just what we need. We're starving. We're writhing in sin. We have no relief for the pain that's in our souls. That hunger pain of doing without the very thing that we need that makes us right with God, Jesus Christ comes to fulfill that need. That's what he has to offer. He fills the hungry. Mary, in her Magnificat, speaks of God, and she says, He hath filled the hungry with good things. And little did she know when she spoke that, that... and maybe she didn't even understand this, that the child that she was giving birth to would one one day speak words that where he compared himself to bread and that he would also say in the Beatitudes that he would satisfy people that hunger for righteousness. They will be filled. And so it was Jesus' intent to teach people that he is a life-giving source, literal bread, even manna. Even manna that God gave, that was not enough to sustain life forever. But Jesus Christ is the source of eternal life. He's another quality of bread, another supreme quality of bread, the best, the highest quality. He's truly the bread of heaven, and he says that anyone who eats of him will live forever. Now, next we see the appropriation of Jesus. Now, bread's a wonderful food, and when God gave manna in the wilderness, he started with bread because that's what the people wanted most. 
Remember how the people complained? They, they murmured to Moses and Aaron. In Exodus chapter 16, it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for he had brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They said, in Egypt, we ate bread to the full. They had all that they wanted, all the bread that they wanted. And what was it that they remembered first when they ran into trouble, when they got hungry, when they didn't have anything to eat in the wilderness? What came to their minds first? It was bread. And at that particular time, they wanted bread even more than their freedom. And this is why God obliged them. God would take care of them. God gave them the manna. And so every morning they came out, every morning except the Sabbath, they rolled out of bed, they looked out of the tent door, and there on the ground, like frost, was manna. Now, of course, it was great to see that manna everywhere. It was great that God had supplied what they needed, but that manna was no good for them if all they did was to look at it. Oh, they could pick it up and they could examine it very closely. They could roll it between their fingers. They would be amazed because there was something there they'd never seen before. And as we've talked about before, that's how manna got its name. They'd never seen it before. And so they called it manna, which simply means, what is it? We don't know what this is. So they weren't quite sure what they should do with it. And so Moses told them, well, this is the bread that God has sent you to eat. Now, there are many people that are as ignorant of what to do with Jesus Christ as the Israelites were with what to do with manna. What they want to do is they want to analyze the teachings of Jesus. They want to admire his good qualities. They want to emulate his lifestyle. They may read about his glory. They're amazed about the perfect life that he lived. But if that's all they ever do, then they'll starve to death. See, manna is no good unless you appropriate it as food. Bread is no good unless you take it in as food. As you take it as nourishment, you have to appropriate it for that purpose. And if you don't, then you'll stay just the way that you are. You'll be hungry, you'll starve, and you will die. And that's what these people do when they fiddle around with Jesus. They admire him. They turn him over and over. They look at his life. They examine him, but they never actually come to the point where they appropriate him. They never take him into their souls by trusting him to, say, uh, to save them. They never repent of their sins. They never come to him in faith. And so thus he never becomes a part of them. And that's what happens when you ingest bread. It actually becomes a part of you. It's with you on the inside. And that is actually the analogy that Jesus is striving for here. He is to be eaten. And that's simply a metaphor for believing. You must believe in him. And he says, when you do, he will come to live in your heart by faith. And so in other words, if you're going to get benefit from Jesus, you can't get it unless you appropriate him. You must take him inside by faith. But that was the problem with these Jews. They wanted a sign. They wanted something more physical, more tangible. Give us manna. And so they wanted something physical rather than to ingest spiritually. And so they continued to eat the wrong things, and they fed themselves with with their sins and with their self-righteousness. In other words, they took what they could collect off of the ground, like manna, when Jesus was just a few inches from them, 
And all that they needed to do was trust him, believe him. Now they ate manna and they were going to die when they could have ingested Jesus Christ by faith and then they could live. Now that leads me to the last observation and that is the satisfaction of Jesus. Manna is no different than any other food substance, at least in this sense, that you can eat it today and be filled, but tomorrow you've got to have more. Tomorrow you'll be hungry again. No matter how much bread that you eat today, I mean, you can eat bread until it starts coming out of your ears. You can be stuffed full today, but tomorrow you'll be hungry again. Now, the children of Israel collected manna every day except the Sabbath. Every morning they would go out. For 40 years they went out and they collected manna because every day they were hungry. They kept getting hungry. Now, going back to that thought for just a moment of the attractiveness of Jesus, it is possible on certain days for food to lose its attractiveness. You might be sick, and so you don't want to eat any food. You might eat too much, and no matter how good that food looks, you just can't eat another bite. You don't want any. It loses its attractiveness. Well, that's the way it is when, when my wife fixes chicken wings. I eat, and I eat, and I eat chicken wings until there's a pile about a bones on my plate about that high and there's still more chicken wings and so I eat more chicken wings and then I get the pile about this high and finally I come to the place I can't eat any more chicken wings and there's still chicken wings there but I don't want any more chicken wings I mean what what was what was so good before is not good anymore and so I just sit there and I cluck a little bit and pass out because I can't eat anymore But that's the way it is with a sinner. I mean, he takes his full of sin, he stuffs himself with all the sins that he can get into his life, and at that moment, when he's so full of sin, and he thinks he has everything that he desires, everything that he wants, then he has no interest in spiritual things, not in heavenly things. See, he's filled up with his sin at that moment, and at that moment, he is fully satisfied. So he doesn't think he needs anything else. But it's not long before that satisfaction wears off and it leaves this big empty hole that he can't fill. You think about drug addicts and you think about alcoholics. They shoot up or they drink up and for just a little while they feel fine. Everything is okay. But then they start to come down off of that stuff and it just leaves them hollowed out, dissatisfied, wondering how can I change? How can I do something different And they're always stuck in that cycle of dissatisfaction. This is what Jesus does. He comes and he cures. He satisfies the hunger every time. You know, I've met a lot of people that have never come to Christ in full surrender and trust of him. And people will say to me, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. Just about a week or so, maybe two weeks ago, I was talking to a man, and he said that to me. We were talking about the issue of, you know, serving God and those kinds of things, and and I'm not sure that this man is a believer at all. And he looked me in the eye, and he said, I'm a very spiritual person, though. I don't really sin too much. I'm a spiritual person. And you know that, to say I'm a spiritual person, that's not any better than saying I'm flesh and bones. Everybody's flesh and bones. Everybody is a spiritual person. The only problem is, not everybody is the right kind of a spiritual person. Not everybody is right spiritually. Not everybody is satisfied spiritually. And those that aren't tank up on their sins and on their self-righteousness, and none of that's going to satisfy them spiritually. Only Jesus can do that. And so he says, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. 
Now, once you ingest that bread, he satisfies you so that you never have to go gathering again. You never have to go look for some kind of supplement to fill you up again because he fills the hungry, he satisfies the longing of souls every time. Well, how does he do that? Well, it feeds back into, and and there's no pun intended there, but it feeds back into the idea of his flesh, that his flesh is represented by bread. His flesh was given for us. He went to the cross in his body, and his body was given as a sacrifice for sin so all of our sins could be taken away. Those sins that burden us, those ones that keep us in misery and dissatisfaction, all of that is taken away by the sacrifice of his body. We're forgiven of sins by the offering of Christ, so he gave his life that we might live. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, whose own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So Jesus gave us his flesh. This is why he says in John 6, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So he's the bread of life. His flesh satisfies God for sin. It satisfies man by the forgiveness of sin, which actually lifts the burden from us. Now, those are just a few thoughts that I wanted to give you about Jesus being the bread of life. This text has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper, but it has everything to do with it. Do you understand what I mean by that? The Lord's Supper is a commemoration of the death of Christ, and he gave his life that we might live. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the songs that we've sung tonight. We, we thank you for the commemoration of his supper. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came down to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, who is truly the, the bread that satisfies our longing, that fills our hunger, that fills up this spiritual hole that's in every person that believes. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ and the great symbolism that we have in this supper before us tonight. Lord, we pray that you would speak to all of our hearts and help us to contemplate what kind of people we need to be, how do we live our lives every day, what kind of testimony are we for the one who gave everything for us. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would consider that very, very carefully before they partake of these elements in this supper tonight. And we give you the praise for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please.